I've been preaching since 1996, and I know I don't look old enough to be doing that, but uh, I've, been, I've been preaching since 1996, and in that time I have never preached a two-part message until today. Uh, I preached the first part last week, and the second part is today, and uh, I am thankful for an opportunity to do this. Uh, and uh, again, I'm going to do my, my very best to just let God's word uh, lead us through his uh, word. But as I said in my prayer, I mean it earnestly. Uh, it's not the messenger this morning, it's the message. Let this word uh, work within you. Take it to heart. Uh, we're talking about, uh, and we talked about it last week, and we began a conversation about God's provision for us in times of need. And as I look out in the congregation, I can say confidently there is not a family here that isn't familiar with having a time of need. That you're not familiar with what it's like to go through a storm. Each and every one here can, can probably honestly say that they're either in the storm, in the valley right now, just now coming out of one, or about to head into one. And I want to say that throughout our lives, we can be confident of this one thing. That as a child of God, regardless of whether you're going into it, coming out of it, or you're right in the middle of that valley right now, you are not alone. As, as Brenda's saying, God's presence is there with us. He is with you. He is, as the scripture we'll read here in a minute, an ever-present help. We discussed last week talking about God's design for us and how God designed you from the very beginning to need help. You are not created with the ability to struggle and to stand alone. God, we're told there in Genesis 2.18 that God looked at his creation. He looked at Adam, looked at man. And he says there, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. From the very beginning, even before the fall of man, without sin ever being in the world, God looked at man and said, he should not be alone. You are not created to be alone. You are created to be a helper and to be helped. We need each other. And we need each other more than ever when we're going through a valley and when there's a storm in our life, when there's trials. We talked last week briefly about the dangers of prolonged isolation. And that typically happens as a result of you ignoring your design. When you get stubborn and you dig your heels in and you say, I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't want to bother God with my whining. I'm not going to trouble anybody else with what I'm going through because they've got enough on their plate. And you isolate yourself. You wall everybody else off. You, figuratively speaking, put yourself on an island and you begin to push away everybody that wants to help. You start pushing away the very help you need that God is sending your way. The provision that God has prepared and sent for you, you are pushing away from your life. 
and you are isolating yourself. And we talked about the dangers of that isolation and how that, will, how that builds on us and how it, it starts to break us down, both emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And we talked about briefly some of the common reasons we avoid asking for help. I attempted to stress the importance that we swallow our pride. And yes, even our false sense of self-righteousness. And to rely on the help that God has prepared, prepared for us. It is not God's will for you to stand alone. I would like to remind you this morning that God's supernatural provision often prevents its, presents itself in ways that we don't recognize at first. And one such way in which God's provision is, is presented to us and provided to us, and again, this was the focus of last week's message, was how God uses the body of Christ, how God uses the church your brothers and sisters in faith, to meet out and to deliver that provision. Today we will tackle a very difficult question. And that is, what happens when the natural, again, and God will supernaturally use the natural to help you. What happens when the natural, the church, Let's you down. Now, please allow me to be perfectly clear on this. When the church fails, when someone in the church fails you, that is not God's failure. I'm going to repeat something to you that I have heard my entire life. I'm going to repeat something to you I have said from behind numerous pulpits. Do not put your faith in the man of God. Because at the end of the day, we are all still just men. Men who are prone to struggle with sin. And that's true for every one of us. Our intentions may be pure. Our commitment as strong as ever. However, circumstances may arise in your life out of your control that will prevent you from honoring and following through on the commitment or the promise that you made. And while we may fail, while I might let you down, God, however, will never let you down. By faith we know that He loves us. It is by faith we know that he will never leave you or forsake you. It is by faith we know that even if we fail to recognize it at the time, that he will lead us and guide us through those valleys and through the storms in our life. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble and dread before them. For the Lord your God who goes before, before you, he will never fail or abandon you. 
The 46th Psalm reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present or an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, will I, I will not fear. Though the earth be removed and the, and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof war and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your refuge. Isaiah 41 says in verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And verse 13 says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold thy right hand and say unto you, Fear not. God says, I will help you. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, the, the, the writer says, But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called thee by thy name, and you are mine. When, they, when thou pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though the, through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame be kindled unto thee. For I am the Lord thy God and the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior, says the Lord. Brother Dan, that all sounds good. That all sounds great. But what happens if somebody takes me out? Away from God's love. What if something separates me from that promise? Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation. There is nothing has ever been created will be able to separate us from the love of God and His help. My friends. Therefore, we're led to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, when he tells us to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, lift you up in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. We are never alone. When the church lets you down, when your best friend lets you down, when those who you've depended on for years let you down, and my friends, it will happen. God will not leave you alone. When all help appears to have failed you, God is still there. When your brothers and your sisters in Christ let you down and disappoint you, God is still there. When your family turns their back on you and abandons you or even betrays you, God is still there. The psalmist wrote, David wrote in Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. 
And verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And why should we wait? How can we wait? How can we be of good courage in the midst of that valley when everyone else has turned their back on us? Because you are not alone this morning. And as I remarked last week, I'm not telling you anything that, I, I, that I've learned through my own personal experience. This is something that I have struggled with. I've struggled with the pride that says I can handle it on my own. I've struggled with the self-righteousness that says I should be able to handle this. I've struggled with the, the shame of saying I don't want to tell somebody about my problems because I'm supposed to be better than that. I'm supposed to be able to handle it. I have struggled with needing to ask for help. Brief testimony. Corey, thank you. Guys, something happened last Sunday when I got home from church that if I hadn't have preached that message last week, I don't know what I'd have done. I know what I would have done. But it, I got home, and my Sunday routine, if you know me, you know is this. I take a nap. I got to have my Sunday afternoon nap. I took my nap. I got up for my nap. Patty's off in her office. She's got all kinds of paperwork and stuff to do, bookkeeping for the church and stuff she does on Sunday afternoon. And uh, I, I, I got up from my nap. I sat down in my, my chair, my recliner, and I began to, to get ready and to study because I had, uh, again, Sunday school lessons. I've got Wednesday night, and I had the night to prepare for, today to prepare for. So I started studying, and then without warning, the entire house filled with smoke. And I'm not talking about a little bit of smoke. I'm talking a lot of smoke. I'm talking 911 smoke. I'm like, this is a lot of smoke. And almost immediately, Patty comes yelling from the other room, what's going on? Because we, we, we saw it, and it happened at the same time. The whole house just immediately filled with smoke, and it was an electrical smoke. It was bad. And so immediately, we're running. And I'm thinking, I got, where's, where's the smoke coming from? And she's like, grab the cats, grab the cats. Meanwhile, we're grabbing cats and trying to shove them in the cat carrier. And by the way, two cats don't want to go in the same cat carrier. Because as you shove one in, the other one wants to come out. You shove the other one in, the other one wants to come out. So we're trying to stuff the cats in the cat carrier. Because we're thinking we don't, you know, they're not happy, but at least they ain't going to get burned up. We're opening the doors. We're letting the dogs out of the house. Run, be free. We know anything. We don't want them to get burned up. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do. 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 And, and I don't know if she said it or, or if oh, I just thought it. I can hear her say, ask for help, you big dummy. <laughs> so I pick up the phone, and I'm thinking, 911. Corey, Corey, I'm going to call Corey. Because it was obviously an electrical burn. Something was on fire. And I'm sitting there going, oh, something's on fire, something electrical is burning. And I pick up the phone, I call Corey, and I go, Corey, what's going on? And I'm rambling off, and he goes, stop, turn off the power. That's a good idea. <laughs> well, turn the power off. Wouldn't have thought about that. It's a good idea. Flip the power off. Now what? I'll be right there. Fifteen minutes later, he's at my door. Turned out it wasn't in the house. My air conditioner, poof, and it, poof, it, yeah. 
filled the whole house. That's the reason the whole house got filled up with smoke all the time because everything went through the vents and the whole house was boof. But I asked for help. I didn't know. So he immediately came. He was there. And if it, my pride and arrogance in the past would have said, I, I would have still been, I would still be trying to figure out why the house is full of smoke. It's hard for me. So when I, when I preach this message, please don't take me as preaching this from a position of do what I do. Because I'm not the best example when it comes from this. I'm getting better. But I've got a long ways to grow when it comes to this. I want to share with you five truths. And I, I gleaned this from other Bible studies and lessons. Five truths regarding God's supernatural provision. And if you want to turn there with me, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of the, the message. This is going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read the entire scripture and then we'll go back and, and, and dissect it and unpack it a little bit. <clears throat> Five truths regarding God's supernatural provision. Verse 1 says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was the, an inhabitant of Gilead, said unto Ahab. And at this time, uh, we'll see that Israel is really struggling, and they are engrossed with idol worship, Baal worship. So bad, I mean, child sacrifice was the norm here. I mean, this was, they, they were as, as about as evil and as wretched as you can imagine. Uh, in fact, that's, when you think of Ahab and Jezebel, I mean, that's, that, there's a reason why folks think of Jezebel and immediately go, ooh, this, this is what's happening in Israel at the time. Uh, so he says, the Lord God said unto Israel, he says, before I stand, for, before whom I stand, uh, Elijah says, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So God is telling Elijah here, I want you to be the mouthpiece, and I want you to tell Ahab that because of their sin, I'm going to shut the heavens. There's not going to be any rain. There's not even going to be dew on the ground. And the word of the Lord came unto him, came unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself in the brook of Cherith. Now, why is he having to hide himself? Because he just got through telling Ahab an evil, evil king whose wife may be even eat more evil, eviler, more evil, eviler, uh, that he, it was by his mouth that was going to determine whether or not it was going to rain or not. So if, if Ahab could have got his hands on, on Elijah, Elijah's life would certainly have been in danger. So God is telling him, hide himself down in this valley in the brook of Cherith that is before Jordan. And I won't pause here. I said I was going to unpack this later, but I, this is kind of one of those squirrels that you want to chase here. I want to notice this, that Elijah here is now having to go down into a valley in the midst of a storm of judgment that's going to be taking place upon all of Israel, not because he's out of the will of God, but because he's being obedient and doing exactly what God called him to do. Sometimes those storms, those valleys that you go through in your life aren't because you disobeyed, but because somebody else disobeyed. But that doesn't mean God's not going to, that doesn't mean God's going to leave you there. 
God's got ever-present help. He's going to help you through these situations. There's a lot we're going to learn from this here in a minute. But I want to point out there, just because you're in a storm, just because you're in a valley, doesn't mean it's because you're out of the will of God. It may be because you're in the will of God. So he says here, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, or the creek, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And I, I, I say this again from last week. Even when God uses the natural, it's supernatural. All right? Ravens just don't automatically bring food and lay it at your feet and say, here, have some of mine. God's using the natural here supernaturally. In a minute, we'll see how God works through the supernatural as well. But he says here, I want you to eat what the ravens bring you and drink from the creek. And he says here in verse 5, And so he went and did according to what the Lord had said. For he went and dwelt there by the brook, and, and, and that is before the Jordan, upstream, upstream from the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evenings, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Don't you know there's a time eventually when your brook's going to drive up. There's going to come a time when the natural is going to fail you. When your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, your, 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 the man of God that you've turned to and relied on, there's going to come a time when they can't help you anymore. God never left Elijah. His help had disappeared. But God's provision was still there. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came again unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. I may be pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. Which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. We find out later she was gathering two sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, also a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in this curse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. That's how little she had left. She, all she had left was enough for two sticks. I got, I'm gathering two sticks here that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and then die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do without thou as I have said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it to me, and afterwards make thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel or meal shall not waste, neither shall the curse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did accordingly and to the saying of Elijah, And she and he and her house did eat for many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the curse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoke by Elijah. The first observation I want to make this morning as far as a truth regarding God's supernatural provision is that we need to stay obedient to God. 
Whether you are in that valley because you disobeyed or because you obeyed, once you find yourself in the valley, once you find yourself in the midst of the storm, now is not the time to start rebelling. The Lord had directed Elijah where to go to receive his divine provision. Had Elijah chosen to argue with God and tell him a better way, God, this is not how I, I, I think we should fix this problem. God, I don't, I, can't you do it this way? Shouldn't you be doing it this way? If Elijah had done that, we'd be reading a different story this morning. Our, our account of what Elijah happened to Elijah would probably be very familiar, also very similar to the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. Murmuring and complaining and complaining and murmuring. But in verses 5 and again there in verse 10, we're told that Elijah, being obedient, did what God had instructed. We don't see any debate or discussion. Elijah simply obeyed. Likewise, we need to be willing to obey the Lord's commands. And instructions, even when they don't seem to make sense, or, and we'll say more on this in a little later, but even if they make us uncomfortable at the time. The Lord may, and this is the second observation, is that the Lord may use unusual methods for our provision. In verses 2 through 7, we see how Elijah is made to hang out by this brook. He's down in the valley. And these ravens are, are feeding him. Again, that's not a, something that usually happens. It's not typical, not even for prophets. And then verses 18, 8 through 16, Elijah is instructed to go to the enemy's territory to be fed by a widow who literally has nothing to feed herself with. She's about to eat the last little bit they've got and then starve to death. It seems like if we were writing the story, we would make more sense for him to then go to a rich Israelite family who had been stockpiling stuff and have him stay there with them. But instead, God sent him to a valley to hide out. And then he not only sent him to the valley to hide out, he then sent him to the enemy city to be provided by, provide, gain provision from a woman who had nothing of herself to give either. Next observation is this. Sometimes we have to move in order to see the Lord's provision. Now, I've noticed this in my own life, and I think, uh, I think everybody here, if you're honest with yourself, can see this in your own life. We, we typically do one or two things when the storm hits. Trouble hits. Pick up the phone. Somebody's on the other line. You get a phone call in the middle of the night. No one likes a phone call in the middle of the night. But you get a phone call in the middle of the night, and you're like, oh, Lord, what's wrong? Well, the doctor gives you a diagnosis you don't, you don't want to hear. Or you come to work, and you find out that you've been laid off. Now what? Something happens. You're just not prepared for. All of a sudden, you, one morning, you wake up, and everything's great. And by that afternoon, your whole world is falling apart. You do one or two things. We either start to run for the hills like Elijah later does 
after his battle with the 400 prophets and Jezebel gives him his threats. Remember, later on we find that Elijah runs to the mountains and we have that whole scene where he's in, the, in there and he's looking at the circumstances. Again, we run because we're too busy looking at the creation instead of the creator. We start looking at what's going wrong with us. We're looking at what's missing on our life instead of focusing on what is still there. You may not have your health anymore, but God is still there. You may not have your job anymore, but God is still there. Your friends may have abandoned you and left you, but guess what? God is still there. So we run for the hills. But if we don't run for the hills out of fear or a lack of faith that God's going to sustain you and provide for you, we then turtle up. That's my saying. I call it turtling up. You ever get see a turtle and all of a sudden they're just going along slowly, but they're just kind of moving along. And all of a sudden they pull themselves in real tight. They just buckle up. We pull ourselves in tight. We wall off everyone around us and hope to just ride out the storm. And we preached about the dangers of that last week and how unsuccessful that normally is for us in our lives. Regardless of the fact, we are just frozen in fear. We plant our feet on what seems familiar to us, what's comfortable with us. We, we start to trust in that which has sustained us in the past. I've trusted that God worked with me in this. This, Listen, just because God has provided for you one way today doesn't mean he's going to provide that way the same way next week. Frozen in fear, we plant our feet firmly on that which we are familiar with or comfortable with. We ignore the possibility that the storm that we are facing is meant and sent by God to make us move out of those comfortable zones. So how do we know which to do? Lord, am I supposed to run? Or am I supposed to just sit tight? What is it, God? Well, I stated before, first thing you ought to do is remain obedient. Even when you feel pressed to make a decision, and you've got to make a decision right then and there, as much as we'd love to open God's Word and see in neon letters, this is what you should do, that doesn't always happen. But let me tell you, regardless of the fact, whether you are pressed to make a decision right then and there, or you've got weeks, months to churn and worry over it, whatever you decide to do better line up with the Word of God. You stay obedient to the word of God. Whether, it, whether God is telling you to get up and move or stay put. You stay obedient to God. Regardless of how uncomfortable you may be in that spot. And if may be. Be prepared to wait. And wait. And wait. And allow the patience that you have been asking for to take root in your life. We are told in Elijah's position that his brook ran dry. And Elijah at that point could have thrown a big temper tantrum, pity party. He could have asked God or told God about how unfair it was that now his brook has ran dry 
Elijah could have postured his heart into thinking, this is not fair, this isn't right, I deserve better than this. That sounds an awful lot like Jonah did when his gourd dried up, you know. Change is hard, even when it's good change. And the change in Elijah's position was, you need to get up out of that valley, and now I'm sending you to the enemy's camp. It might be that what God is sending you to is even worse than where you were at. Stay obedient. But the change is often required to let us to grow and experience the fullness of God's provision. If everything we ever wanted, everything we ever thought we needed, was suddenly just, boom, right there in front of us. And we never had to wait for it, never had to work for it we would start feeling very entitled. And we certainly would not appreciate where that provision came from. When the brook ran dry, the Lord gave Elijah instructions of where to go to be continuing in that provision. Elijah had to get up and move in obedience. Sometimes to be obedient, you have to leave your current location. You have to leave what you are normally would depend upon and what you would normally trust. That might be a different career path. Whatever the case may be. Without moving, Elijah would not have been able to receive the Lord's provision through the widow. And again, I'll remind you, just because God met a need one way today doesn't mean he's going to meet the same way tomorrow. Today, he may simply calm the seas. Tomorrow, he may give you a bigger boat. But regardless of how he meets your needs, the fourth observation I want to make is this, that God's provision is always, always enough. Always enough. It may not be what you want, but it would certainly be what you need. In verses, there in verses 14 and 16, the promise and the fulfillment of that promise that was there was, was manifested in that the flour and the olive oil in those containers never went dry. My friends, this was supernatural. This wasn't natural. Flour and, and olive oil doesn't just keep multiplying as they're used to make bread. Somehow the Lord kept the containers replenished. Much like he, remember, he multiplied the fishes and the loaves of bread when he fed the 5,000. We are not told here either that the lady, the woman, the widow, added a storeroom in her house for the Lord's provision either. It was a daily walk of faith where the provision came as the need for food came. We need to be quoting more often Matthew 6.11 where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. Trusting in faith, which Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You might not see God's provision yet, but you must trust that it's going to be delivered. 
Walking in faith requires that we move forward as the Lord instructs us, even when we don't see that provision ahead of time. And sometimes that provision may seem foolish in the eyes of the world. But be foolish for God if that's what it takes to remain faithful to Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 and 27 says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound and the wise. Confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The way God meets our needs sometimes just doesn't make sense. But trust, He will meet that need. And lastly, and this, this might be, I mean, I've heard a lot of amens, but this might be one of the hardest things. For us to swallow. The valley you're going through. The storm you're in. Even the way God meets out that provision. It really isn't about you, is it? It's not about me. Do you recall what that woman was doing when Elijah first saw her? She was preparing her last meal so that she and her son could eat it and then die of salvation. And, and sometime later, the boy actually does die from an illness. But the Lord desired it and, and, and brought the boy back to life. And when the widow's son died, Elijah could have offered condolences and just simply wept with the widow. Instead, he did the unnatural and cried out to God who brought the boy back to life. So in effect, all that Elijah had been through, from having to stand up to Ahab, to having to hide in a brook, in a valley, being fed by birds, drinking from a creek that eventually runs dry, to then having to get up and go to the enemy city, all that Elijah had gone through, in effect, led to Elijah coming to the widow's house, which brought life to her and her son, not just once, but twice. And the end result was God's glory. That's what it's all about. Glorifying God and loving on people. It's not easy for us to expect... Look, it's easy for us to expect that God will provide for us in the matter that we like. But fortunately, he sees what's best for us. And not what's just best for you, but also what's best for others. And the very thing that God uses to bring help to you might be the very thing your neighbor needs to see. The storm you're going through, the diagnosis that the doctor just gave you, God may have put that on you because he knew you were going to come through it because then you could be the help to somebody else. 
Your testimony was going to be the strength that led someone else through the same valley. We don't know. We just have to trust that regardless of what happens, you are never alone. We're not going to have an invitation this morning. We finished up a little early. I'm not going to apologize for that, but uh, we did finish up a little early. I want to remember a couple things. As we walk in obedience and faith, the Lord is our provider. Ultimately, your provision needs to come from God, not man, because man will let you down. Even when God uses and ministers through the church to meet your need, ultimately your faith and ultimately the God, not the church, needs to receive the glory for it. He works often through amazing and crazy and sometimes foolish ways. Sometimes he may ask us to step out of our comfort zones. Sometimes, like old Peter, he could have stayed in the boat with the other 11. Sometimes he calls you to get out of the boat for you to really recognize just how wonderful and powerful and how quick our Lord is to save us. The stand will be dismissed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. I have said this on numerous occasions, and I mean it to be true. I do not ever want to take for granted the freedom that we have here today. I have done so in the past. I don't ever want to do that again. Thank you for the open door, the freedom, and the peace of mind of knowing that we can come into your house and to worship you. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for those that don't have that freedom. I ask and I beg and I plead for you to protect that freedom for us for as long as it is in your will. I pray, Lord, for those, Lord, that were, were not here today because of sickness or illness. But I also pray, Lord, for the lost and the unconcerned that just simply ignored this opportunity. I pray, Lord, for them. Help each and every one of us, Lord, as we leave here, to leave here, Lord, and be witnesses and workers for you. Let your light shine in our lives. Let us be a daily testimony of your love. Give us opportunities, whether we recognize them or not, to witness to the lost. Let them see you in us. Please remember the, the numerous needs that we have in our church family. Uh, Lord, there are those that are struggling with health issues. Lord, there are those that are struggling financially. There are those that are struggling emotionally. There are those that are struggling with, with, with spiritual needs. Lord, I am confident there's not a family here is not struggling with something somewhere. I pray, Father Lord, for your provision on our lives. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Amen.